It's tough building a business. You're going to face many challenges. It's never a smooth journey. You go out to do X, Y, and Z and realize that, you know, there's several bumps and hurdles along the way. And so having that resilience is absolutely key. And having an, almost an obsession with trying to solve the problem that you're solving for your customers. Because at the end of the day, when times get tough, it's that passion that's going to keep them going, right? That real drive to really solve the problem that they're solving. People tend to invest in what they know in, in individuals that look like themselves, reflect themselves. And that goes with the hiring process as well. And so unless people are making a conscious effort to bring on board more diverse individuals at that junior level, then oftentimes that's not going to be the case. And so I do believe that having that leadership that is diverse is absolutely key in order for that to be reflected across all levels of the organisation. Welcome to the Success and Ideas podcast. I'm Richard Myron. This is the podcast where I try to understand success through the experiences of some compelling individuals. I want to understand how they define success and how they've achieved it in their lives and work. On this edition, I'm joined by Yvonne Bagella. Now, Yvonne is a strategic investor who's worked at some of the giants of the corporate world, including Mitsui and Goldman Sachs. But just a couple of years ago, when she was only in her late 20s, Yvonne went and became a founding member of Impact X Capital Partners, which is a venture capital firm focused on investing in underrepresented entrepreneurs. This means in practice, business people who often find themselves overlooked for reasons of geography, gender or ethnic background. Yvonne's very unusual in the field of venture capitalists, a small percentage of whom are women and an even smaller number of whom are non-white. Yvonne comes from a Ghanaian British background. Yvonne, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Very excited to join you on this conversation today. So Yvonne, Tell me, first of all, at the early part of your career, you were at Goldman's. Now, at least my impression of Goldman's is a sort of macho, quite male, sort of, you know, bombastic kind of background. First of all, correct me if I'm wrong. No correction required. <laughs> that was all right, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and second of all, assuming, yes, I am right, what was it like for you walking in there and being the person that you are? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, for me, obviously, I was I was one of a few, you know, black female sitting across the office. It was the first time I worked in an office environment, and I guess it, it proved to be a real steep learning curve, um, having to work in such a male dominated environment. And you know, coming from university where you're not really taught how to navigate within the workspace, I remember coming in and and I had a mentor and he said, you know, Vaughn, you really need to try and be more ballsy, more assertive, more aggressive. And there's little old me with my soft spoken voice. <laughs> so what do you do? What do you do in those circumstances? You sort of lower your voice and speak louder. I mean, do you adapt to the environment you're in or did you adapt to it? I mean, how did you react to that? Yeah, I mean... I was always told, like, always be who you are. But to some extent, I did feel as if I had to adapt, especially being so early in, in my career. You know, you don't have that many options and, you know, you still you're yet to prove yourself. And so I did find myself really struggling with the decision of, you know, do I try and change who I am or do I embrace it and, um, you know, not not fit in within the environment? 
um, I actually chose to, you know, remain who I am. And at the end of the day, like throughout my career, that's paid off for me. Okay, it's paid off. But did you find also being the person that you are, remaining true to yourself, also presented you with difficulties with, you know, having to confront people because, you know, you chose to be and present yourself as you are. Absolutely. There was a lot of challenge and a lot of um, feedback around, again, how I should be more assertive and so on, because, you know, that's what our clients were expecting and so on. Um, and if I wanted to be promoted, then then that was obviously very important. However, one thing that I knew at the time was let your work speak for itself. And so although I did not have those characteristics as a typical um, investment banker, I did let my work speak for itself. Would you say that you encountered, I mean, you say it's about adapting to the attitudes around you and you remaining true to yourself. That implies attitudes and so on. Was there ever a time where you felt unwelcome because you are both a woman, both you're a non-white woman, or was it just that there was a sort of... um the environment around you was very different from you. Was it directly unwelcoming, I think is what I'm, I'm in kind of implying. Yeah, I mean, it comes back to this whole, you know, cultural aspect. This was many, many years ago before there was any conversation of diversity and so on. And at the time, I did feel a little bit out of place. I mean, for example... Friday drinks, I'm not a drinker, didn't always want to go for Friday drinks. And I did find that a lot of the conversations, a lot of the promotions came out of those Friday drinks. And so you almost have to think to yourself, okay, do I put myself out of my comfort zone, go to those Friday ballsy drinks just in order to, you know, show my presence and so on? Or do I remain true to myself, even though I don't enjoy it? And I had to make that decision at the end of the day. Um, Ultimately, I, I did leave. As you know, I, I just felt like I, I didn't fit in, but you know, it was a great place to work, great experience. Getting into investment banking, I mean, what for you is the fascination of it? How did you do it? How did you get into it? So growing up, my father is someone that really pushed me to love mathematics, which is quite unusual because most children hate mathematics. <laughs> you know, we would spend weekends reading The Economist, reading The Financial Times, and from a very early age of 10 years old, I had an understanding of financial markets. And so that meant when I went to university, I went on to study economics and business finance. And naturally, given how my strengths were in, you know, numerical subjects, naturally, the the two paths that I was considering, as most students tend to within that space, is consulting or the investment banking route. And so there wasn't really many other options presented to me at that time. I never knew about the world of venture capital, didn't know about the world of private equity. I had a few friends that were in the years above me that went into investment banking. I just thought, this is great. You know, you make great money. Let me go for it. (laughs) So other than making the money, what is it about that field that you find fascinating? Because one of the things that from the outside that I find really well it's a mystery to me you have to identify businesses or individuals that you think are going to succeed and direct money towards investing in those I mean first of all how do you do that how do you find those businesses yeah and I think for me I didn't actually think so much about 
what the role would entail, to be honest. It was very much, uh, these are the two options that are presented to you, so let's go for it. What I would say is one thing that, you know, I knew from a very early age was investing. So from very early age, my father would invest in stocks and shares. And I think that's what really taught me in terms of how to identify great companies, what companies go on to do well. And, and that, for me, was what I used to learn and develop my experience when it comes to businesses. I think, obviously, coming in as a junior in an investment bank, you tend to, given that the organisations tend to be so big, you tend to have a narrow focus in terms of the area that you focus on. Um, and oftentimes, you find yourself doing the financial models and so on. So what is it about a business that marks it, do you think, for success? That's a difficult question. <laughs> I guess in the world of venture capital that I'm in today, where we come in early on companies, it's very much about the team, simply because, you know, building a business is, is incredibly challenging and it's never a smooth journey and uh, various curveballs will come along the way. So that resilience in entrepreneurs is absolutely key. Their knowledge of the sector, their passion and obsession to really solve the problem they're solving because at the end of the day, when times get tough, it's that that passion that's going to keep them going, right? That real drive to really solve the problem that they're solving. So that's something that I always try to look for, the founding team. Now, at ImpactX, your approach is slightly different in terms of the, the kind of companies, the kind of individuals that you're investing in, as I understand it. How do you help those companies or those individuals who may be sidelined because, you know, they may be overlooked because they're female led or they're in a part of the world where it doesn't get much attention or whatever. How can you help them or how can you generally help individuals and companies who find themselves in that position to raise their profile? One thing about the venture capital industry is investors naturally gravitate more towards those who, you know, come from a similar background to them, who, you know, maybe you know, look like them or come from similar spaces. And I can definitely say that's true to myself. Yeah, and it's not always about raising their profile. I think it's, um, you know, sometimes we come across incredible company and it may just be that they're not part of the traditional networks in order to raise capital. And so it's just a matter of me having to make introductions to my fellow VC venture capital friends. You know, sometimes it's it's really helping companies to really think through their strategy as well and, and think through what would make them appear as a more compelling investment opportunity. And that could just be a narrative issue where we're saying, how are we thinking through, how are we going to make this company grow to 100 million in revenue and just scaling their ambitions? Because obviously that's the venture capital model, right? We're looking for those outlier companies that are going to generate significant returns. Um, and sometimes that's just really just giving the entrepreneurs that sense of belief as well. I've always wondered if there is a special source, if you will, about entrepreneurs. I mean, you, you've got to have a pretty thick skin, right? Absolutely. You know, what is it about them as a breed, do you think, entrepreneurs, that distinguishes them? Yeah, I think that you have to have that resilience. It's tough building a business. You're going to face many challenges. It's never a smooth journey. You go out to do X, Y, and Z and realise that, you know, there's several bumps and hurdles along the way. And so having that resilience is absolutely key. And having an, almost an obsession with trying to solve the problem that you're solving for your customers. A great example is recently I met with a founder of a supply chain startup. And supply chain technology is not the most sexiest areas. Yeah. <laughs> However, when I met with the entrepreneur, 
I spoke to him for about an hour and a half. And after the meeting, I was blown away by his his knowledge, his excitement, his passion, his frustration at the sector and how he was desperate to revolutionise it. I went away and I was so encouraged, I was so enthused that I went away and researched the supply chain industry for a couple of hours after that because I was just so excited by what he had told me. And that's the perfect example in terms of the obsession to really serve customers and and really revolutionise an industry. That's the type of entrepreneurs I look to work with. So you've now become an, a supply chain enthusiast. Is that what you're saying? I have. I have. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see a difference in the way in which women who lead companies approach the way in which they work from men? I think being a woman is my is a superpower. We bring a different perspective. And the reason why I say that is because I've been in meetings where, you know, a company is presented and room full of male investors <laughs> and it may be, you know, a femtech product. And a lot of the men just don't get it. But as a woman, obviously, naturally, I get it. And it's not a niche industry, or despite the fact that for many years, femtech was considered a niche. But let's face it, 50% of the population is, is female. And I think it's, it's really important to have that feminine perspective when looking at investment opportunities. Same way, you know, I, as a female investor, I'm expected to do a deep dive and analysis on you know sports I'm not the biggest sports fan and I think to some extent you could say it's it's laziness from investors not to try and understand that female perspective I guess I don't know but if you I'm personally not a sports fan either but if you're looking at sports (laughs) and you come from it from a kind of like uh, an agnostic kind of background you're also thinking about things which maybe the people who are passionate about it don't see. Exactly. You know, they're looking at the obvious. Do you find that? Absolutely, 100%. People talk about change in differing industries as coming from different places. Either it comes from on top, you know, it has to be, you know, instituted or it comes from the grassroots. Looking at, at boards, at corporate boards, how important is it, do you think, for it to be mandated or for there to be greater diversity forced onto boards? Yeah, I think it's absolutely important. I think for a number of years we spoke about, you know, getting more women on boards and it wasn't until, you know, this target was laid out that companies proactively started making the conscious effort to bring on board more women candidates in their long list, their short list and and actually in their hiring process. And like I said, like, as women, diversity is so, so important. Research report after research report has proven the value of having diverse teams and, you know, diverse thinkers around the table in terms of offering that different perspective. And so I've sat in boardrooms where even as a younger person, I've brought a different perspective just from my own personal experience. And I think it's absolutely key, especially when you think about it. Boards is where a lot of the strategic decisions are made. And I always say that leadership always, you know, filters down from the top. And so I think it's absolutely key. And I think that having the target in place here in the UK has has helped significantly. And what about from the bottom up? Are there a lot of business people or people who maybe have have business ideas, but they maybe because they have a perception of business as being a particular kind of thing, maybe, you know, people who are public school educated or white or male or whatever that is, and maybe feel it's not for them. How can you encourage from the grassroots up a change in perception? I think it works both ways. I mean, you have to have a change or representation at the leadership at the top, right, in order for that to filter through, because 
I think that people tend to, just the same as it works in the venture capital industry, people tend to invest in what they know in, in individuals that look like themselves, reflect themselves. And that goes with the hiring process as well. And so unless people are making a conscious effort to bring on board more diverse individuals at that junior level, then oftentimes that's not going to be the case. And so I do believe that having that leadership you know, level that is diverse is absolutely key in order for that to be reflected across all levels of the organisation. Now, Impact X, as I understand it, it's looking towards a niche of those who are underserved and unrepresented. When do you think that niche becomes the mainstream, that you cease to see a difference between, you know, supposedly things which now, as you say, the kind of the constituencies that you're serving, you're looking at, no longer are seen to be exceptional, unusual, or need to be served by a particular company? When you look at the UK venture capital ecosystem, it's becoming increasingly competitive for venture capitalists to get into deals. If you're only focusing on one demographic, then I think that that you're missing out on a huge opportunity, and that's the way we like to see it. We think it's really important that you're scanning the entire landscape. And so where previously investors may not have considered, you know, how can we back more female founders? I think now it's becoming imperative to look beyond the pre-existing networks that investors have tended to look look to for entrepreneurs. So where are you looking to now? I mean, people speak for the sake of argument about the commercial opportunities and the growth of entrepreneurship in, in sub-Saharan Africa or, I mean, parts of Europe or wherever. W- where are your areas of interest? Underrepresented entrepreneurs, I think there's a huge opportunity there. I think some people see it as a major problem. However, I see it as an opportunity because it's an overlooked area by a number of, of venture capitalists. Africa has always been an area that I've I've invested in. I think obviously the venture capital ecosystem is still in its nascent phase. However, if you look at countries like India, for example, I would say that, you know, Africa's maybe 15, 20 years from where India was and we are going to see the success of the ecosystem emerge as more and more companies become more mature. And we're already starting to see that. I mean, we obviously had the Stripe acquisition of of Paystack last year. We had Flutterwave being named as a unicorn um, in their latest investment round. And we're really starting to see those success stories come out of the region. And what about you? I mean, I pointed up your age and I'm, I'm going to just say this right you're 31 years old <laughs> and you've got this incredible track record what comes next for you I mean how do you build upon the success or how do you maintain that level of success that you've achieved today yeah I think for me success I view success in in many different ways right I think that success for me is being able to be in a position where I'm able to do what I love I'm able to contribute and add value in the work that I do. Um, at the moment, I'm, I'm able to do that. One thing that I mentioned I'm really passionate about is board seats and trying to increase board representation. Because I do believe that we have a long way to go in terms of diversifying boards. And we've seen a number of blunders by companies in recent years. And I think that if there was more diversity at the senior leadership level, then maybe those blunders wouldn't have occurred. That's something that I'm actively working on. But success to me is just having the ability to add value in many ways and enjoy the work that you're doing as well. Yvonne Bajella, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much for having me. 
So that was Yvonne Bajella. And what I find very interesting about what Yvonne was saying there was the power in looking away from the mainstream. The big investment companies, the big venture capitalists may look to where they traditionally have looked, to those individuals, to those part of the globes, which may reap good returns. But what Yvonne seems to be saying is if you look in a different direction, if you have a different perspective, from there you can profit, you can find success. It seems to have driven her and it also seems to be the driving force for her in finding success in others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then subscribe on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please do share and rate the series. This is the last of the Success and Ideas podcast. We hope very much to be making a, a new series soon and do join us for that. But do also go back and listen to some of the amazing conversations that I've been having with some accomplished, adventurous, different individuals who've made up this, this first series. I'm Richard Myron. The producer on this edition is Anouk Mier. And it has been an Earshot Strategies production. All the best. Thank you. Thank you.